Welcome to the Fastest 5 Minutes, presented by Kroll & Mooring. We are your co-hosts for this edition, Peter Ayer and Monica Sterling, bringing you a bi-weekly summary of significant government contracts, legal and regulatory developments that no government contracts lawyer or executive should be without. And we'll start with CMMC, and Monica is going to talk about a brief update. Monica, over to you. Thanks, Peter. In December 2021, DOD released initial guidance documents for version 2.0 of its Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification, or CMMC, program, including its much-anticipated scoping guidance. While the guidance documents generally adhere to the current requirements for the protection of federal contract information and controlled unclassified information, the scoping guidance includes other developments, such as the introduction of two asset categories, one, the specialized assets category, and two, contractor risk managed assets category. These categories could potentially limit the scope of a contractor's CMMC assessment, as well as the number and types of assets to be assessed against the applicable CMMC practices. Now, the specialized assets category includes government property, Internet of Things, and industrial Internet of Things devices, operational technology, systems configured based entirely on government requirements and used to support a contract, and test equipment. The other category, contractor risk managed assets, include computing resources that are capable of handling CUI, but are prevented from doing so by the contractor's security policies, procedures, and practices. Perfect. Uh, Next, we talk about a GAO report that was issued on December 16th, and it focuses on Department of Homeland Security's development and implementation of policies and procedures designed to protect personally identifiable information, or PII, which is collected by or shared with DHS contractors. These policies address federal privacy requirements in five key areas, including establishing and maintaining a comprehensive privacy program, providing agency-wide privacy training for all employees and contractors, overseeing information systems operated by contractors, ensuring implementation of privacy controls for contractor systems, and ensuring incident response procedures for contractor systems. GAO found that while DHS did meet most of the requirements covering these privacy issues, there were still some gaps in compliance. So we expect that DHS is gonna be focusing on this, uh, among other things, in 2022. Now we're gonna shift it back to Monica to talk about an interesting federal circuit decision involving prejudice in the protest context. On December 30th, the Federal Circuit affirmed the Court of Federal Claims' decision denying S3's bid protest, finding that although the agency had acted irrationally, S3 failed to make a showing of prejudice, which will not be presumed. Here's your background. In May 2020, S3 filed a bid protest at the Court of Federal Claims, arguing, among other things, that the Army erroneously assigned the awardee a strength for its cost proposal. The Court agreed that the assigned strength was an error, but nonetheless ruled in favor of the government holding that S3 had failed to demonstrate prejudice because even absent the error, the government had demonstrated the awardee's proposal was, quote, clearly superior to S3's proposal. Now, S3 appealed, arguing that when an agency acts irrationally in making an award decision, as it argued was the case here, courts should presume prejudice to the protesting party. The Federal Circuit rejected this argument. The Circuit explained that the Administrative Procedure Act, or APA, mandates that in all cases involving review of agency action as, quote, arbitrary, capricious, and abusive discretion, or otherwise not in accordance with law, that's the APA standard, due account shall be taken of the rule of prejudicial error, and that prior precedent did not disclaim a prejudice requirement upon a finding that an agency's action was irrational. The circuit further emphasized that under the APA, 
quote, the challenger of agency action generally bears the burden of showing that an error was harmful, that is, that it was prejudicial, end quote. And to the extent there was uncertainty as to that requirement, the federal circuit was, quote, rejecting the interpretation of Garufi on which the uncertainty rests, end quote. Perfect. Thank you so much, Monica. Um, we're going to talk briefly about the National Defense Authorization Act for FY22. It was signed by President Biden on December 27th. There is a lot in the NDAA. There are numerous provisions relating to acquisition policy, um, new rules, uh, coming expectations, changes in terms of how DOD is thinking about government contracts. Uh, there's too much to cover in everything in detail, but I'm just going to do a, a few quick highlights here. Um, so not surprisingly, the NDA emphasizes supply chain security and seeks to strengthen and secure key industrial bases in both the US and the national industrial tech technology base, which includes Australia, Canada, and the UK, as well as focus on supporting domestic manufacturing. Specifically, Section 809 requires DOD to annually report violations of the Buy American Act, Barry Amendment, or specialty metals requirements to congressional defense committees beginning in 2023. Additionally, Section 847 requires DOD to develop a plan to reduce reliance on any materials obtained from North Korea, Russia, or Iran. The NDAA includes sections aimed at enhancing DOD's approach to software and establishes a variety of pilot programs aimed at achieving those goals. For example, Section 831 permits the Secretary of Defense to deem contractors' cost share as allowable independent research and development costs if the system at issue requires or receives milestone B approval. Moving on to the next set of issues, as in past years, the NDAA contains numerous provisions relating to acquisition policy aimed at special projects and initiatives. So for example, Section 803 grants authority to DOD to acquire innovative commercial products, commercial solutions using fixed price contracts, including new technology, processes, or methods, R&D, things of that sort. And finally, Section 817 repeals a statutory provision which established a preference for DOD fixed price contracts and required approval for certain cost type contracts. There's also a lot in the NDAA about small businesses. So for example, section 814 pertains to eligibility for certain prime contractors to receive accelerated payments. The section requires that for a prime contractor that subcontracts with a small business concern to be eligible for receiving accelerated payments from DOD within 15 days following receipt of an invoice, the prime must actually agree to flow down such payments small business sub by the accelerated payment date and cannot merely propose to make payments on such a schedule. So a lot here, there's an alert up on our website if you want more details about the NDAA. Uh, lots of information and we'll be watching implementation closely. And with that, we will close out. This has been the Fastest Five Minutes brought to you by Kroll and Mooring. We'll see you again in two weeks. If you have any questions about these items, I can be reached at 202-624-2807 and Monica can be reached at 202-624-2849. Thanks so much for joining. The Fastest 5 Minutes podcast is brought to you by Kroll & Mori LLP. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy our show, please leave us a review. You can find more information at kroll.com slash govconpodcast. Podcast.